want to give a shout out today uh, to those of you that are connecting with us via the video today and pray and hope that you'll be encouraged as we reflect again together on the subject of the letter of Paul to the church at Ephesus. Uh, if you're just joining us, you may not know that the city of Ephesus in what is now modern-day Turkey, was the second city of the, uh, of the Roman Empire. It was an incredibly cosmopolitan place. And the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in that particular city that contained some profound insight, wisdom, and encouragement that has been of value to people living in complex societies all throughout the years. And today we're going to turn and look at what Paul has to say in Ephesians chapter 5 and a little bit in chapter 6 about uh, the ministry of family life and the role that we get to play in that. And I want to invite you to just listen as I read first from Ephesians. I'm going to just read a, a few different parts of uh, Ephesians 5 and then a little bit of 6 for you and I invite you to hear the word of God. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. And I want you to think about that for a moment. What is he saying? He's saying, be like dad. Be, be like your heavenly father. Pay attention to what he does, how he moves through life, and imitate it. And the word for imitation is discipleship. Uh, be a disciple, an imitator of God. Live a life of love, because that's dad's defining characteristic, our Heavenly Father, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And then a little later on, he says, building on the idea, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And then later on he says, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This passage from Ephesians 5 and 6 is perhaps the most explicit teaching the scriptures give us on the subject of family life in all of the Bible. It's for this reason that every time I, I marry a couple, a young couple entering into the covenant that will lead to family life, every time I do that, I offer Ephesians 5 as a potential wedding reading 
to which they usually respond by saying, do you have any other suggestions? <laughs> and I go on to point out that like, no, no, seriously, like this is the most explicit teaching we get about family life in all of the Bible. And they said, how about 1 Corinthians 13? <laughs> Why is this the case? Well, you know the reason, of course. It's because of that verse, Ephesians 5, verse 22, that reads, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. A wonderful Father's Day text, many of the men in the room are thinking. <laughs> but I lose most prospective brides at that point, and frankly, a lot of other women when I read this particular passage, for, for obvious reasons. At face value, uh, Paul's words here seem to bring to mind the... Um, all of the experiences through history where women got ground under some man's heel, where they were subjugated in some way, denied rights or access or voice in some significant way, and history is full of examples like that. There's a, an incredible show right now, I think it's a Hulu um, exclusive called The Handmaid's Tale. Some of you have seen it. It describes a world that runs this way where women are put in a tremendously subjugated role beneath men. And if the truth be told, most guys, when they hear this particular passage, also get a little bit uncomfortable uh, because it seems to thrust them into a godlike role in family life for which they don't feel entirely worthy or, or equipped themselves. But it's precisely because of this that we need to wrestle with this text. Uh, we need to wrestle with it the way Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, who dislocated his hip and set him walking differently the rest of his life because we need to be walking into and through the life of our families in a different kind of way than is sometimes done in our time. And if you remember nothing else that I'm going to say to you today, uh, please remember this. The, Ephesians 5 is not about advocating uh, for men to have power over women. Uh, quite the contrary, it is about completely turning on its head the typical conception of the way real and lasting power works in human relationships. Now, if you're like me, when you think of the word power, we think of it as something that gets wielded over another person. <laughs> We talk about power plays. We talk about people who are rising to power. We, we're describing a process by which one person is gaining the upper hand or a party is gaining the upper hand over the others and the ability to control or to coerce or to command or to compel a certain kind of response from other people. But when Jesus and the New Testament talk about power, they're thinking of it in very, very different kinds of terms. Uh, they're speaking not of, of the dominating power that comes from winning a position over someone, but from the kind of creative power that gets unleashed when a person of great capacity chooses voluntarily to take a position under someone else, to, to lift them, to, to, to help them, to support them, to encourage them, to move them towards their fullest potential. Now, if you think about the teaching of Jesus, it's all about this idea. 
Jesus says to us in Mark chapter 9, if anyone wants to be first, if you want to be the the number one in your household or in your place of occupation, uh, he must be the very last. He must choose the last position and become the servant of all. Further along, Christ declares, for even the Son of Man, even God himself, he's pointing to himself when he uses the term Son of Man, even the Son of Man came not to be served, uh, to sit perpetually in the, in, the, in the lounge chair, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus doesn't just talk this way, he lives this way. Uh, when the crowd comes and tries to make him a worldly king, to put him into the White House of his, of his day, Uh, or when uh, Satan offers to give him power over all earthly kingdoms, if he will just bow down uh, to the devil, Jesus forcibly refuses those kinds of of invitations, even though, honestly, that comfy chair would have been his to take by right. That throne was his by right. Instead, though, Jesus says, it's going to be by sacrificing myself, actually giving myself up on a cross for others, that I will draw all humanity to myself. It is going to be, ironically, by letting go of control, by letting go of my comfort, by stooping all of the way down, by submitting myself even to great discomfort and death itself on a cross, that I am going to unleash a power that's going to change history and alter civilization and reach human souls in a way that no other kind of influence possibly could. And commenting much later on how right Jesus was with that prediction, with that approach, no one less than Napoleon Bonaparte said this at the end of his life. He said, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded empires, but What do these creations of our genius depend on? Upon force. But Jesus alone founded his empire upon love, self-giving love. And to this very day, millions would die for him. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was often hitting this same theme. He often observed that the greatest and the most enduring kind of power And there's lots of forms of power and lots of people that are peddling power and pushing uh, themselves in power in many circles of life. But the most enduring kind is the kind that doesn't just grant a benefit to one or to a small circle of people, but it's a power that eventually lifts everyone up who gets bathed in its light. This is the greatest kind of power. And it it is the potentiality, the efficacy for which all of us were made to exert this kind of of power. And so that's why the passage from Ephesians 5 begins not with verse 22, but verse 21, with these words. Submit to one another, men and women, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ because of the way Jesus chose to use power You do likewise. You imitate him, Paul is saying. As if it were Christ 
you were serving. And then just in case we missed his point, Paul gets really specific and personal. He starts to drill in now to, the, to both sides of the, of the family equation. He says first, wives submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. Now that is a tall order because women, as marvelous as the men you're married to, they may not be fully Jesus-like yet. It would be a lot easier, actually, to do this if they were very Jesus-like. It's a great reminder to us guys uh, of, of how we can actually influence uh, the conditions in our household by our own pursuit of Christ-likeness. Um, but, but the challenge is still there, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. Now, let me add parenthetically, that particular part of the teaching has been misunderstood for centuries. And largely because of an issue with translating the original language in which this teaching comes to us. Uh, the word head has been the source of a lot of confusion. And it's important to know that when, when we hear the word head, we typically think of it as head honcho, head of the department, right? Head of the line. These are the ways we think of headship. But when the ancient Greeks and the New Testament writers wanted to talk about uh, headship in that sense, they always use the word archon, the Greek word archon from which we get our word monarch. That's, that's what they're talking about when they're talking about somebody who has power over others. They, they would use the word archon. It's striking, however, that the word that St. Paul uses here in this text is, is the word kephale, which also means head. It's another word for head, but as in the sense of the the head of the Nile River. Uh, kafale means source. Uh, it means a source of blessing. It means it's, it's a, a place through which there pours the stuff of life. And, and so in Ephesians 5 and verse 23, what Paul is really doing is he's invoking the creation narrative. He, he's reminding um, both women and men, that, that, that the first woman came literally out of the body of the first man. He was, in that sense, her source. He was given the incredible privilege of being the one through whom the grace of God came and, and led to the flourishing of woman's life. And conversely, every other man after that point comes out of a woman's body. Right? So there's a sharing and a mutuality in this, in this getting to be a source, a, a, a portal through which the grace of God flows uh, into uh, one another's lives. So husbands and fathers are meant to be one of the major conduits through which God's grace comes into the life of a family. Man, this puts a lot of responsibility on us, obviously. Uh, to, to actually take seriously that role and be thinking about um, our, uh, the own condition of our own heart and whether we're actually able to be clear enough to be that kind of a conduit uh, towards others. So Paul goes on and just says, husbands, love your wives. And, and he really ups the bar here. He, he doesn't just say, don't just do that in the way you might think of love. He says, love them as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, how does Christ love the church? 
By the way, the church is referred to in Scripture as the bride of Christ, as the, the, wife, of, the wife of Christ. How does Christ love the church? Well, when we're praying, as we did earlier in our service today, he's listening. He's patiently, perseveringly concerned to know the heart of his bride, what, what, is, what she's longing for, what she's struggling with, how he may be able to come alongside of her in her places and times of, of struggle or need. Christ dedicates himself to doing everything he can to build up the church, to build up the bride. He pours himself out to encourage and to equip and to support his bride. He sacrifices his natural rights for the church. You know, he, he, he stoops and washes the feet of the church. Uh, he, he's somebody that is always thinking about how to advance the needs of his bride. So the question the guys always have to be asking ourselves is how, like Christ, is our treatment of our bride? You know, how's that going for us? Where would Christ be calling us to give up ourselves in, in creative ways to enflesh that kind of love in our households, uh, for our children, for our spouses, uh, for those who live with us? If you want to have a, a great family, then here's what you need to do, says St. Paul. Submit to as in serve one another out of reverence for Christ. Why do we submit? Because he did. It's the way we revere him, the way we celebrate him. Because if he who is the greatest of all, he who is the one most worthy of spending his life in the in the lounge chair while all of the rest of creation wait upon him, if he could choose to serve us, then what's the chance that we might stretch a little bit more towards the people in our households to serve them? Um, so, so let me just close out our time today by suggesting two practical ways that you and I can become um, what I would call our family's most valuable player the one who exerts the most helpful kind of creative influence in our families. Let me just throw out two ideas for this for you to take home and, and to work with. First of all, entrust the power of decision-making more frequently to others in the household. Uh, whether you're a woman or a man, this is the call. Entrust the power of decision-making more frequently. Um, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is from Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 in which Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and share my life with them and they with me. Um, it's really striking to me that he doesn't say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you don't answer right away, I'm busting that door down. I mean, I'm coming in with the battering ram. I am taking over because I own all this anyway. I paid for it. I own it. But he doesn't. He entrusts the power of decision-making 
to people. He did this so often with his disciples as they were going uh, around. He would ask them, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that we should, what is it that you make of me? He would just ask again and again these questions that were inviting people to make meaningful choices. And, and God's way is often to trust his beloved with the power to decide even critical matters. And again, if God can do this with you and me, who, who don't always know how to make great decisions on everything, uh, if God can do that, how much of a stretch really is it for us to do that intentionally with one another? You know, I, I, in my household, you know, uh, I make most of the important decisions about who goes into the Supreme Court and what we think of the next administration and that kind of thing. And my wife makes the little decisions like how we raise our kids and <laughs> where we go to vacations. But seriously, you know, there's just such incredible value in, in, in marriages and households that are marked by this sort of power sharing. Um, couples that I know have identified uh, significant areas of their life together where they give um, one another the tie-breaking vote. Um, and they often work this out in, in terms of just giftedness. Some, some of us in households just have a better sense for certain dimensions of the life and others for diff different ones. I'd like to say that the division of gifts was always predictable, that you know, like women were always the, the best ones to decide the household rules and men the best ones to be breadwinners. It doesn't work that way. It's a complex array and everybody has to sort this out on a family-by-family -family basis. And what it means, though, is that there's going to be these places where you're going to elect to say, that's your vote. You've got the call on that. I want you to have that. Make the decision for all of us on this. I know families that even give that, that authority to kids in certain crucial areas of their life. Say, you know, we want you to start to learn how, it, how to make these crucial decisions in life. And you're going to decide for our family how this, how this part of our family life goes. Uh, so Paul says elsewhere, love does not insist upon its own way. I mean, the things you have to just decide as, as parents that because you just have the maturity and you have the responsibility to make those choices. But, but the characteristic of love is it does not always insist upon its own way. And when one family member entrusts authority to another family member, it increases significantly, I think, the probability that that family member will in turn be, be open to receiving the input and the decision-making of the person who gave that power away. Uh, because it just it builds a sense of reciprocity in, in the life of a family. So here's the question. Where and how could you and I be entrusting decision-making authority? To, to other people in our home. That's, that's idea number one. There's also a second practical way we can serve and, and one that is very explicitly suggested in the text for today. Uh, we reverence Christ and we serve our family members best when we affirm others at their point of need. When a husband or a wife, parents affirm other people in the household at his or her point of deepest need. So the question is, what's that point? Well, I'm, 
I'm really wary of making generalizations about this, and so forgive me if, I'm, if I am heading in that direction, but because Paul dares to generalize a little bit here, let me just describe what he says, and then you work this through for yourself. We find his counsel at the close of the passage when he says, husbands, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself. Now, it may seem to go without saying that, that the job of husbands is to, is to love their spouses, but I think it's important to know what the word love means because in the Bible, the word love is a lot less about feelings than it is about actions. The, the, word, the best translation of, of the word love in biblical terms is to will and work for the good of the other. You know, it's easy to say the words. It's tougher to actually will and work for the good of the other. And, and I think it, it probably needs to be underlined that for women to be their best, they have got to know that, that the men in their life are willing and working for their good. That this whole arrangement that we've got in life isn't about just advancing the guy and, and in his path in life. It's about working for the whole of the family's life and specifically for the good of, of the spouse. And, and when women know that they are loved in this particular kind of way, it opens them up to an amazing uh, kind of flourishing. Now we talked in our, our uh, Love for Love series a couple months back about some of the specific ways that we communicate love. And we talked about the five love languages. Some of you remember that, uh, and I just reprise it for those who weren't here. Some of us feel loved when we hear words of affirmation. And one of the ways that, that men communicate love for spa a spouse is to, is to speak the good they see uh, in, in the other. Some of us uh, feel love through the spending of quality time. Kids, in particular, spell love, T-I-M-E. And some of us feel it by, by receiving tangible gifts. Uh, and others of us through acts of service and still others through physical touch. There are different ways of showing that we're willing and working for the good of the other, and so the question is, do we know what our wife's love language is, guys? Do they know what our love language is? Have we dared to tell them what it is? Uh, and do we know how our children recognize love? How they really feel it? Are we speaking that language? So husbands, love your wives. And, and never stop trying to figure out what that looks like to will and to work for her good and that of your children. Women, uh, what is it that men especially need? Paul puts it this way. A wife must respect her husband. That word respect is, is, needs parsing. Um, what I can say here from having listened over the years to a lot of men and to my own heart is that is that men, again, generally speaking, crave an affirmation of their fundamental competence and their contributions. Both genders crave that. I think guys are wired in a certain way that we crave to be affirmed that we are making a contribution that others see and that our, our core competence is, is solid. And the reason a lot of us are driven, a lot of, it's not, again, not just men that are, but 
but particularly men, is because we're, we're still working to prove that value, the value that we have. We put on a game face, we try and keep it all together, but deep down inside of a lot of us is this voice that keeps saying to us, you're not quite good enough. You really need to prove yourself again. Um, and so, wives, you can mediate the assurance of God to your husband in an immensely freeing way. I think one of the things that guys often feel especially fathers who get beat up a lot uh, in our society. Every father is pictured as some kind of a buffoon, if you think about the characters we meet on television. They're all idiots. They're all selfish, beer-bellied, you know, lazy boys. Uh, what means so much to us is, is to know that you see our contributions. We may not be perfect, but you see the stuff we're bringing to the party. You can name it, and you're, and you're expressing a gratitude for it. And that kind of sense of respect, uh, I think, just frees us up in ways that are enormously helpful and stop us from striving so obsessively for position and for, and for worth. So women, use this power you have, uh, this, the power of respect in your husband's lives. We're going to need to get you on to your activities for today. So let me just wrap this up. And, and, and put it in a summary for us. Men, women, ki kids, this is the simple recipe. Submit to one another. Serve one another out of reverence for Christ. Husbands, love your wives. Make sure she knows that you're willing and working for her good and you're trying to understand what she considers good. Wives, respect your husbands. Make sure they know you see the contributions that they're making. Children, honor your parents. You're going to one day be likely a parent yourself. You're going to be blown away by how much smarter those parents were than you ever thought at this season of life. You know, Mark Twain used to say, when I, when I was a teenager, I thought my dad was an idiot. By the time I was in my mid-20s, I was amazed how much my dad had learned. You know? Uh, so children, honor your parents. And parents, don't unnecessarily provoke your kids. Be, be wary of the whole power over thing. It's, that's an issue. You're working your own issues when you do that. And, and, and use the power of lifting and encouraging. And, and, and there will be times, as we'll talk about in our next series, when, when strictness is, is definitely needed. But don't lord over anybody in your household. But seek to come under the people in your family. This is the great teaching of Ephesians 5 and 6. Because in so serving, you're going to become your family's MVP. You will. You'll be the one that, pe that people look to and go, wow, thank goodness, what would we do without in our household? And, and you'll be the one who helps to release the power of God in your family's life, a power for healing and hope and wholeness that God wants everybody to know, which is why he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Bring them into the family, teach them our family's ways. For I am with you always, even to the close of this age. Would you bow your head with me as we pray? Gracious God, you have you have given to so many of us special people who share our lives or our households. 
on this journey that we have together. We pray that you will keep us from being blind to their gifts or to the specific ways that we might express greater love, respect, honor, or care for them. Grant, O God, that through our daily service to one another, we might also bring joy and glory to you who are our heavenly home. For we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.